what we've done is we've done something called offboard thermal management right so our e pump actually pumps in refrigerated coolant into the e pack through the e plug which is our connector right um, so it ensures that apart from while charging it we're also thermally managing the battery and ensuring that no matter what your ambient con- condition is it could be 10 degrees celsius or it could be 50 degrees celsius we ensure the e- the battery pack is well within the 25 to 35 degrees celsius sweet spot so this ensures that the cells you get almost a 40% extended life uh, because of this by keeping the the cells in that thermal sweet spot and we're doing this without adding weight and cost to the battery hi wherever you're listening to us I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Forbes India's Tech Conversations, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors. I'm Hari Arakli, and in this episode, Arun Vinayak, co-founder and CEO at Exponent Energy, talks about the challenges associated with fast charging, one of the critical factors that's preventing India's EV market from growing much faster than it is today. Arun talks about what he describes as an off-board method for keeping the battery within the right temperature range while it's being charged, which is when most damage can happen by moving the complexity involved to the charging station. As a result, the company promises its batteries can go from 0 to 100% in 15 minutes. Arun also talks about why Exponent has focused on the commercial electric vehicle segment. rather than the consumer opportunity Arun welcome back to this podcast I think it's been a year since we last spoke and it's a good time to catch up you also have some news on the product front so I'm looking forward to this update for folks who may not be familiar with your work can you start with a quick background about exponent and we'll go from there Ashi thanks so much Ari so good to be back Um, yeah, it's been it's been a year since we spoke last time, and uh, lots been up at our end. Um, yeah, no, I'm Arun. I'm the co-founder CEO at Exponent Energy. Uh, we wrap the charge vehicles in 15 minutes, and we do this by building both batteries and chargers. We're a full stack energy company. And prior to this, I was the founding partner and the CPO at Ether Energy. So I was on the vehicle side, and now on the energy side, and uh, been in the EV space in India for for close to a decade now. So, yeah. Very nice. Can you give us a sense of where you all are at today? Um, talk about the most important developments over the last twelve to six months at your company. Yeah, I think last time we spoke, um, I, I think at Exponent we've been around for two and a half years now since inception. It's been a fairly rapid two and a half years. Um, you know, the year one was was just us being heads down in the lab. We have totally in stealth mode, figuring out rapid charging technology at a very core level. Uh, year two was. We're sort of taking this into product form and, and building partnerships with vehicle manufacturers. Actually, having uh, these things ready to go go to field, and I think that around that time is when we spoke last time. And in the last six to eight months, uh, this has now gone from stuff in the lab to actually in in the road uh, with customers actually rapid charging on a daily basis, uh, both by using our battery technology and the public charging network that we set up. Right, uh, at Exponent, we're a full-stack energy company. Right, uh, what I mean by that is we're not just a battery company or we're not just a charger company. We build both sides of this equation, and we think that's the only way to deliver really rapid, really reliable, and really repeatable 
charging experiences, right? So we have something called the e-pack, which is our proprietary battery pack. This is what we integrate into the vehicles along with vehicle our vehicle manufacturing partners. Um, we've signed up with Altigreen, for example, as, as our vehicle partner in the three-wheeler space. Uh, so Altigreen and us together launched something called the Altigreen Neve Taze, right? Uh, it's, a, it's their three-wheeler, but it now has the exponent battery pack and it can charge up in 15 minutes. So that's a special variant that we launched. And uh, along with this, we set up something called the e-pump, which is our rapid charging network. We set this up in public spots. So people who buy vehicles powered by Exponent can drive into these char- e-pumps, um, charge up in f- less than 15 minutes and keep going. So our objective is to sort of unlock freedom like nothing else in the EV space. So at the end of the day, that's what mobility is about. You know, you want to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And today the vehicles already drive better. At Exponent, our, f- our core focus is to unlock freedom. Um, so, you know, all of us can go electric ASAP. I also tried to do some homework and read your deep dive on what you described as the two-sided problem of charging. Yeah. And I think it will be interesting for folks if you explained a bit of that for us here. The way we look at this, right, I think um, it's fundamental because energy is changing. It, uh, there's sort of a paradigm shift in energy, right? So if you look at petroleum, right, energy is fundamentally a one-sided problem. Right? And it's a pure upstream problem. Right. Um, so you have energy companies that focus on discovery of petroleum, extraction, refinement, distribution of petroleum. Right. So the complexity in energy systems is up till the fuel station and up till the nozzle. Right. The transfer of uh, petrol or diesel from the petrol pump to your vehicle, that's a fairly, I would say, a dumb process. It's a fairly simple mechanical process. And your energy storage on your vehicle is just a can with liquid. So there's nothing complex about it. And and vehicle manufacturers had to worry more about powertrains, right? So they've really refined and perfected powertrains and engine systems that took this liquid and could deliver all the power. So if you look at it, uh, there's no complex energy storage system in a petroleum world, right? And so energy companies are fully on the ground, fully upstream focus, while automotive companies focus on powertrain systems. So it's a very decoupled sort of ecosystem, Uh which means energy companies can do their thing, automotive companies can do their thing, and energy sort of flows quite seamlessly across all layers. Right? This has changed with EVs. Right? If you look at EVs, there's already the grid, and it's, fair, it's really awesome. And that allows us to have energy everywhere. Right? There's energy in the wall and enough energy in the wall. The fundamental problem with EV is the transfer of energy from the wall to the vehicle. Right? And by definition, that's a two-sided problem. Right? And you have this thing called a battery, which is on the vehicle now, which is a fairly complex energy storage system. right? And charging a battery is not a simple process. right? Um, uh, how you charge a battery really impacts the life and performance of the battery. Right? Uh, and charging a battery involves understanding cell chemistries to the thermal management systems, to a lot of BMS and electronics, a lot of software and intelligence that's needed. And obviously a whole bunch of high power electronics. And if you look at this, half of this is on the ground on the charger and half of this is on the battery on the vehicle. Right. Um, and today the industry sort of takes a very decoupled approach. Right. Someone sets up, builds a charging station, someone else sets it up, someone else is building the battery, and someone else is building the vehicle. So when the vehicle turns up at the charging station, they just don't understand each other. Right. And and charging is the most stressful process for a battery. Right. If I take a battery and I uh, while charging, you're actually increasing the potential energy of the battery. While discharging, you're actually relaxing the battery. Right. So you can't actually damage the battery while driving. You only end up damaging it while charging. And then because the industry takes a very decoupled approach today, you end up having very 
slow charge times, very poor battery life. And most importantly, the reliability of charging is also quite bad. I mean, we look at enough reports published both in India and internationally. Reliability of charging is only 60 to 70%. Right? I mean, it's 2023. But if you drive up to a charging station, there's still a 30 to 40% chance that your vehicle won't even charge, which is quite unacceptable. Right? So we sort of wanted to fix all of this by building both sides of the equation. This allows us to take energy from the grid and transfer it to the vehicle really quickly really efficiently um, because because it, it's, it's almost like you need to, right? Um, fundamentally, the rules of physics change. You know, when, I, when I'm slow charging a vehicle, sure, I can use a decoupled approach. But as I go faster and faster, when I want to take all that energy and dump it into the battery faster and faster in very little time, um, the the fundamental rules of, 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 rules of physics need us to rethink every layer of the stack, you know, the, how the charger works, how the connectors work, how the battery systems work, how the thermal management systems work, the sort of BMS and the software, all of that has to be rethought and redesigned. Um, so in some sense, there's no other option but to build the entire stack to achieve rapid charge. So when you say decoupled, you mean that folks have looked at either cells and batteries or the chargers, but not together in a holistic manner. Exactly. Uh, very few companies who looked at it holistically. Tesla, for example, is done a fantastic job, right? And and that's sort of what's propelled them into being the not just the best vehicle company, but also one of the best charging network companies, right? Which is now what got in every other OEM to adopt them, right? And and so yeah, we truly believe in a more holistic two-sided approach. Okay, so tell us more about your products, the e-pump and the e-pack, and some of the innovations that you've built into them. And then we can also get into what you unveiled yesterday. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, you know, uh, what, what's unique at Exponent is uh, we deliver rapid charging on regular lithium-ion cells, right? So we don't get into cell design or manufacturing. We leverage the existing manufacturing ecosystem for regular lithium-ion cells like LFP cells. And we deliver 15-minute charging. And while doing this, we also give you a 3,000-cycle warranty, which is 3x industry standard. Right, so the the immediate question is how are you doing both, right? Um, and and this is fundamentally where building the whole stack allows us to s- attack two critical problems, right? There's been two problems with rapid charging regular lithium ion cells: a something called lithium plating, and b the extreme heat that gets generated because of rapid charge. Right, so we have to attack both, right, and simultaneously. And while doing this, you also have to ensure this is. Uh, affordable for India, Indian audience, right? Um, for us, I think the focus at Exponent has not just been engineering, but the engineering plus economics that both have to work for really bringing change at, at scale, right? Um, so the uh, first bit or how do you attack lithium plating, right? Um, so if you get deeper into the cell, right? Uh, cell actually has something called a cathode and an anode, right? So when you charge a, um, a cell, uh, you have something called lithium ions that go from the cathode, swim across, and then get absorbed by the anode. And anode is this foam-like substance. Uh, it might be something like silicon or graphite or graphene-based system. Uh, it f- absorbs these lithium ions, it stores it, and when you're driving, it discharges uh, these lithium ions. And that's how a cell basically stores energy and releases energy. Now, fun fact, lithium ions inherently have 4,000 cycles of life. Uh, that's the sort of potential they inherently have. Right? But what ends up happening today is chargers, like I said, because of this decoupled approach, chargers don't know anything about the battery or anything about the cells. So they blindly dump energy. 
right? So you keep charging a cell blindly, which means you're bombarding the anode with lithium ions at quite randomly, right? So even with slow charging, the industry is only able to achieve 1,000-1,500 cycle life, right? And of course, in the same blind manner, uh, you just, you rapid charge, you try to go faster and faster. The probability of this, uh, the number of lithium ions keep going up, right? And what ends up happening is you have something called lithium crowding, which at some point of time, the anode just gets crowded, it gets stressed. And if you continue stressing the anode out at this point of time, the lithium ions just sort of give up, right? And uh, uh, I mean, think of it that the anode only has so much of an up capability to absorb so many lithium ions at any point of time, right? And if you overstress it, it's like a Bangalore traffic jam. They all sort of come to a halt. And then they have something called lithium plating. This is when the lithium ions sort of give up uh, uh, waiting outside the anode and they actually deposit themselves on the surface of the anode, right? And this is an irreversible reaction. Right? Lithium ions just go from ions to metallic lithium. So actually you cut open the cell, you'll see metallic lithium deposited on the anode, right? And, uh, and, and this is bad. It's bad because you've lost actual lithium, which means your capacity of the cell is dropped. B, your internal resistance sort of shoots up of the cells, which is why if you look at your cell phone over time, it starts lasting, lasting lesser hours. And it starts heating up more and more. That's because fundamentally there's lithium plating happening at a cell level. And the third big whammy, the triple whammy here is uh, that because lithium ion, lithium plating has sort of taken up a bunch of anode surface, the available anode surface or the active available anode surface for the next charging comes down. So it's sort of snowball effect, right? So the probability of lithium crowding and lithium plating keeps going uh, higher and higher with every cycle. So sort of a snowball effect. So once lithium plating gets seeded, cells quickly sort of die. So if you look at lithium-ion degradation curves, we'll see like somewhere around the 1,000 cycle mark, uh, they sort of fall off a cliff, right? And they die instantaneously, right? And this is because the chargers don't understand batteries. The BMS doesn't fundamentally know what's happening at a cell level. So you're sort of blindly charging a cell. And so you're literally playing Russian roulette, right? You're just bombarding the cell with lithium-ions all the time. And obviously... We do slow charging at 1,000, 1,500 cycles of life. And when you go ultra fast, it's just probability that the 1,000 cycles becomes 200 cycles, right? So this is where the industry fundamentally gets this norm saying, don't rapid charge, it's bad for the cells, right? So at Experiment, we sort of changed this. We said, can we fundamentally understand if lithium plating is happening or, or can we even sense if lithium crowding is happening, which is a step before lithium plating? And hence, can we course correct our charging profiles accordingly? And can we actually proactively manage cell life, right? So we do this. That's exactly what we do. So we 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 uh, we do this through using three layers of a stack. We have something called the BMS, which is our battery management system. It starts by the uh, it starts with the sort of hardware accuracy we have with this battery management system. Uh, on top of this, we have something called the virtual cell model, uh, which is think of that as a three D thumbprint of the cell, right? So it takes in the voltage, current, temperature data from the BMS and actually computes lithium crowding on a real time basis. Right? And if the virtual cell model thinks that the, at any of the cells is stressed and the lithium crowding probability is very high, we have the third things kicking in, which is something called charging algorithms. Right, uh, This is the one that takes in data uh, inputs from the virtual cell model and then course corrects charging currents accordingly. Right, So um, today in the industry, what happens is chargers do something called CCCV, which is they dump constant current amounts of current for extended periods of time. Right? just blindly onto, onto cells. This is what leads to their whole lithium plating and lithium stress. Our, our EPUMP and EPAC sort of work in sync, right? Um, the BMS, the virtual cell model and the charging algorithms together determine the right way to charge every cell real time. 
and and this how to charge a cell that that profile has to change real time because conditions keep changing and at the end of the cell has a bunch of chemicals so there's a lot of chaos uh, which needs constant monitoring and constant real time sort of course correction to ensure that you are able to rapid charge a cell without actually damaging right so this is everything that we do to manage lithium plating and uh, the special feature we've launched this time is the second bit which is how do you manage heat right uh, when you go from 4 hour charging to 15 minute charging uh, the current is 16 times more right but heat is 256 times more right heat is i square r right and in india you have ambience of 40 degrees celsius plus um, and the fun fact again here is lithium ion cells love to be in the 25 to 35 degree celsius range right so uh, how do you even regular liquid cooling doesn't cut it right so if i have if you use regular liquid cooling that works for ic engines uh, if your ambient is 40 the cell will be at 50 55 degree celsius which is not acceptable right in ic engine vehicles your engine is allowed to be at 90 degree celsius plus so you have enough of a delta t to extract heat here we are talking about a negative delta t you want the cell to be at a lower temperature than the ambient right so fundamentally you need hvac systems you need refrigeration right and these things can be quite bulky quite expensive right and if you look at tesla and a bunch of advanced passenger cars um, in the west they actually have onboard chillers and if you look at the weight of these chillers and you look at the cost of these chillers right uh, a simple chiller system could cost close to 2 lakh rupees right which is okay for an expensive car but here if you're looking at more cost sensitive markets like a three wheeler the vehicle itself is a couple of lakhs right so i can't afford a refrigeration system that costs a few lakh rupees right so what we've done is we've done something called offboard thermal management right so our e pump actually pumps in refrigerated coolant into the e pack through the e plug which is our connector right um, so it ensures that apart from while charging it we're also thermally managing the battery and ensuring that no matter what your ambient con- condition is it could be 10 degrees celsius or it could be 50 degrees celsius we ensure the e the battery pack is well within the 25 to 35 degrees celsius sweet spot so this ensures that the cells you get almost a 40% extended life uh because of this by keeping that the cells in that thermal sweet spot and we're doing this without adding weight and cost to the battery right uh, and this is in some sense very important to manage the economics for india right uh, we can't cut copy paste architectures that worked in us or europe uh so we have to uh and and the irony here is that india needs thermal management the most but it can afford it the least right so we sort of had to re- really rethink outside the box um in some in this case outside the vehicle uh to sort of deliver this performance in an oversimplified layperson's way of putting this is it like putting your battery inside an ice box <laughs> in some exactly yeah uh the the battery has these plates uh, which allow us to extract heat uh and yeah when I mean, you plug into the charger we actually pump in cold water uh and bring the temperature down and uh, and when you're leaving we suck out all the water and then the vehicle leaves so you know so the battery remains fairly low cost low weight and uh, yeah and we move we move the complexity of the charger and and i'm thinking this works when we have an e pump and an e pack together and otherwise they can function as a regular charger or a regular battery yeah so for a bunch of reasons um, you know because of the lithium plating aspect that we spoke about right in the first condition where i need where you know the bms is is uh is the sort of the consultant it's sitting on the battery it's constantly monitoring what's happening the bms can actually just um, say what's going wrong right but it can't actually action upon it the actionability comes from charger so from day one we were very convinced that we have to build the bms and the charger 
the battery and the charger together, uh, right? And so along with this, we also realized that's an opportunity for us to also rethink and re-optimize where the thermals sit, right? Uh, so for both these reasons, both to manage variable charging profiles, dynamic charging profiles, and also to manage thermals at a very low cost, uh, we said, yes, the EPAC plus EPUMP together will deliver this maximum performance. Having said this, we are not locking the batteries to our network. Right? Unlike swap, maybe where you have to go to back to the same swap station all the time, we do allow one hour charging on any DC network. Right? And we also allow this vehicle to be charged at home um, in your regular from your regular wall socket. But of course, it will take longer if you use the regular wall socket. And so this design of your charger, battery, how the cooling happens, and the BMS, these are all water proprietary to you, right? Uh, yes. Uh, like I said, we use regular cells. We sell agnostic stack. We have, think of us as an energy stack company or a, like if you look at cells as buckets, right? That's sort of sitting and waiting to absorb energy. Uh, and the grid is a common grid that all of us use. We sort of redesigned the entire pipeline, the entire energy stack from the grid all the way up to the cell, right? The chargers, the backend system of the chargers, even the, when you're, when, you're, when you're doing rapid charging, everything, even bus bars, the wires, all of that have to be redesigned. Uh, all the way to the connector, our proprietary connector does 600 amps of current and it also does something called off-board cooling where it actually pumps coolant from the charger to the battery, like I said. And then of course our battery pack systems, the thermal packs, and most importantly the BMS and the charging algorithms. So the entire stack is what's proprietary to us. And we, we're cell agnostic, so we keep using any cell that's available um, to provide this life and performance. And in 15 minutes, to what level will your batteries charge? Are we talking about, say, 80% or higher? No, so we're talking 0 to 100% rapid charging in 15 minutes. Okay, wow. Uh, this is actually the fastest charging in the world. Uh, just to put this in context, even phones don't charge this fast today. Right? And we're charging entire trucks up in 15 minutes today or mini trucks up in 15 minutes today. And as of today, we're doing 300 times. We're doing 300 rapid charging sessions a day. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, quite happy with what we so that means in a typical real life scenario, someone could stop at an e-pump and don't even have to wait for 15 minutes and maybe charge their vehicle for five minutes. And, you know, from my basic understanding of charging, even on smartphones, for example, it's in the initial minutes that charging happens faster. So I suppose someone can charge for five minutes and carry on with their work until maybe they are back home or at a place of work when they can charge longer and so on. Yeah, no, Hari, you brought up a solid point, right? The fact that most systems do rapid charging in the first few minutes or the first few percentage points of SOC, right? Um, uh, absolutely. And this goes back to the whole lithium plating uh, sort of problem statement, right? Um, so when you're when the, when the you're going zero to, say, 30% of the battery, the anode is like, think of it as a foam. It's fairly dry, right? So lithium plating doesn't happen. So you can rapid charge and get away with it quite easily. But as you go beyond 30, 40% SOC, the anode has absorbed more and more ions. And so, it's, so as a foam is getting more and more wet, it's getting more soaked. So the probability of lithium plating goes higher and higher, right? And hence, uh, systems sort of slow down charging beyond 30, 40% of SOC. So for us to actually go 0 to 100% and stay rapid throughout, that's that's why the whole lithium plating and the whole uh, lithium plating stack, the, the whole BMS stack around that is very important, right? Um, and, and yeah, absolutely. Like uh, most drivers today are spend an average of seven to 10 minutes at our charging station because most times you come in with 20, 30% left. Um, so you our average transaction time in the field today is 10 minutes. 
and drivers are out within 10 minutes. And um, fun fact, uh, while we launched this, we thought people would actually uh, maybe do only top-ups and go and charge at home, like you suggested. Uh, but I think this is the other reality we must look at in India, right? Um, two, two big realities that sort of forced us to uh, push for rapid charging. One is India doesn't park at home, right? Uh, I mean, a lot of us who own expensive passenger cars, uh, we park on the roads, right? Um, and something I learned the hard way even while selling Aether, right? Um, now, if you look at smoke cost sensitive market, look at a commercial vehicle segment, right? Someone who owns a diesel Tata Ace, the guy's not parking at home. Right. So the concept of home parking and home charging just doesn't work in India. Right. And that's something we need to address. Second thing is India can't afford large batteries. Right. Like so I'm talking about US passenger car. Uh, pe- people are talking about, hey, let's talk about a 400 kilometer range, 500 kilometer range vehicle. Let's park at home and charge at home. Um, so that's the energy ecosystem that they're building. Right. Uh, for India, we need ultra fast public charging, getting it out, recharging, refuel. And I need to be able to do this with really small batteries. Right? So that's the only way to make both flexibility work and the cost structures work. Right? Because we're all buying the same cells from China at the same price point. Right? But a vehicle in India on average costs one-fourth the US counterpart. Right? So most segments in India can't afford more than 80 to 100 kilometers worth of range. It just becomes too expensive to own a vehicle if you give me a larger battery. Right? So that's the problem statement we're solving for. And beyond just the f- rapid charging, one of the biggest reasons people use our e-pump is because they just don't have the ability to charge at home. So a lot of our drivers, when we speak to them, they're like, irrespective of the charge time, um, uh, uh, this is the only way for them to actually get energy to the vehicle. Okay. I get that so far your effort is more skewed towards product development and R&D and so on. And that from this point onwards, I suppose the business side of things will kick in. I mean, that said, you've already spoken about one partnership with Altigreen and they're building very good commercial vehicles. Um, just give us an update on how you guys are doing on the business front. And I also want to better understand your business model. Is this basically about selling your products or are there other lines of business as well? I think on the business front, uh, we keep uh, we monetize both sides of this energy. Right? Uh, so we sell the batteries up front and then we sell charging services on a recurring basis. Right? Uh, the batteries, of course, we work with OEMs to sell that along with the vehicle up front. And uh, the charging services you can derive uh, at our EPUM uh, at a per unit basis. So we charge you on a per unit of electricity consumed from our EPUM network. Um, now, um, yes, we've launched with Altigreen. That's uh, uh, that partnership going really well. Uh, we launched in Jan this year, and in the first quarter, we pushed out 200 plus vehicles already in just Bangalore, and we set up uh, 30 plus e pumps uh, in Bangalore already. And um, this has led to some pretty interesting things. We're sort of redefining some of some of the rules of last mile logistics, right? Um, the first thing is just the kilometers that people are able to clock on a single electric vehicle, uh, as against slow charging electric vehicles. Right. Um, so they're able to do double shift operations, uh, you know, 150 plus kilometers a day. Uh, people are now using this on applications like Porter, which is very randomized logistics. You know, um, This is where your pick up and drop is uh, different for every trip. Uh, on some days you might do 100 kilometers, some days you might need to do 200 plus kilometers. So we've had people actually do 200 plus kilometers repeatedly on exponent powered vehicles. Uh, this is powered by both the 15 minute charging and the network. Or that delivers that flexibility freedom, right? Um, and yeah, right now we've clocked more than a million kilometers. Uh, 
uh, with these vehicles and uh, we've done 30000 plus charging rapid charging sessions in the field right and every time we charge we send the coolant we send in 600 amps of current we manage the entire battery life so um, and and yeah uh, that that way it's quite exciting to see this whole thing go from lab uh, to 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 on ground and we're doing all of this with rewritten the economics right on both the vehicle side and the charging side right on the vehicle side uh, we're actually doing more or less right we uh, with rapid charging uh, it actually kills range anxiety and hence it kills the need for oversized batteries so uh, th- with altigreen we actually launched a vehicle with a smaller battery size we said with rapid charging just put in lesser cells and bring down the cost of the vehicle so ra- our bat- our batteries don't make the vehicles more expensive it actually makes the vehicle whole lot cheaper right and because we have a 3000 cycle warranty we're able to do much better financing solutions right uh, financiers provide for your fire financing solutions as against 2 to 3 year which is the industry norm uh, so put together you know the monthly emi on vehicles powered by exponent is almost 30% lower than the industry norm today right so the vehicle costs 30% lower while you're doing 2x 3x revenue on the vehicle compared to other evs um, so i think that's a sort of a no brainer deal for for commercial fleets right and on the other end the charging stations right uh, today one of the biggest problem with charging stations i set up a piece of land and i charge two vehicles a day three vehicles a day so it's not a great business right uh, my energy throughput is so dismal uh, that's what rapid charging has helped us fix some of our e pumps are now doing 20 to 30 charging transactions a day which is the highest in the world right so most chargers do two to three tesla superchargers do five to nine charging sessions a day we are doing 20 plus repeatedly right uh, this basically means on the same piece of land you're selling a lot more energy right so it becomes a far more profitable and far more scalable network right um, so these are the sort of uh, uh, impacts that we're able to, commercial impacts that we're able to deliver uh, through the rapid charging stack right and we're able to make this a win-win proposition obviously the oems happy uh, they're able to sell vehicles at lower price point higher demand their fleet owner is happy because the vehicles cheaper the revenue is higher and the charge point operators and the network providers also happy because this is a inherently far more profitable business and i think only if you can create this win 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 will this ecosystem sort of scale rapidly and because of this we've also got a lot of franchisee operators on the charging station side so there's a lot of partners who are now uh, sort of working with us to install charging stations uh, on their land and yeah we do a revenue share agreement with them as well any other oem names you can talk about Uh, maybe not right now uh, we, we that's something we will talk about soon uh, we are from an expansion point of view we are looking to expand in more cities so that's the first axis of expansion but like i said we're also doing something interesting we, when i say our our stack scales i truly mean it so uh, in the next few months you'll also see us launch uh, an intercity bus that charges in 15 minutes and we'll of course reveal the oem partner as we sort of launch that product on the point of expansion can you talk about how the current slowdown is treating you uh yeah i mean, I, i think uh, you know i think evs as a as a segment is continues to grow quite quite rapidly uh, i think there's nothing sort of slowing evs down uh, and i think uh, the right teams building the right product in this space continue to get funded um, i think the right team and the right product in any space continue to get funded so uh, So yeah, uh, I, th- I think we will talk about more updates in that front at Exponent as well. Um, for us, expansion comes across three axes. Of course, we work with more OEMs. Uh, we work uh, 
in most cities today we're only in bangalore so like i said in the next um, in the next end of by end of this year we're looking to be in five more cities um and the other thing is categories right so today we're doing only three wheeler cargo uh, as one segment um we are looking at two other segments uh, three wheeler passenger which is a 4x larger market opportunity than three wheeler cargo so that's something we're entering soon the same oem partners that we work with today are also launching three wheeler passenger you know it's the same battery the same network that we're leveraging to also unlock that segment and to me the other very exciting thing is the intercity bus so that's something that uh, we're looking at as a 50x larger value opportunity for exponent um, and um, so um, uh, you know if you look at buses intracity buses have gone electric and are going electric very rapidly but intercity buses very hard to electrify them because the obvious range concerns and the lack of charging infrastructure and you can't really wait for a couple of hours to charge a vehicle with all those passengers in the bus um, so you know the need for ultra fast rapid charging is is almost uh, a precondition uh, for you to even electrify intercity buses so that's a market that we very excited about by going after uh, refresh my memory um, how much money have you all raised and will you need more funding soon uh, yeah we've raised 80 million dollars till date um, from a bunch of vcs uh, lightspeed 314 advantage yonest uh Pawn Manjal's family office and Madison uh we will uh I, i think i think right now we are quite comfortable uh, as we stay focused on bangalore and like i said we will we will raise more capital as we expand to new cities for a hardware engineering company 18 million dollars sounds like a modest amount so you found ways of staying frugal i'm guessing yeah no, I, i think at exponent uh we found ways to stay fairly efficient and light um you know building tech in india doesn't cost that much actually right um uh, india is actually one of the uh, most efficient places to to build innovation right now you know, um, compared to anything else in the world um so yeah, I, th- i think as a team we've been building evs for like 10 years now so i think put together that experience helps us maybe be faster and be more efficient um on the tech side um and today we're also uh i think energy is a very lucrative business right so that's allowed us to sort of um really scale up with far lesser sort of input um you know batteries and chargers put together is really half the value of of the vehicle um so so i think that's that sort of kept us going and as a company we have very sharp focus on just a few line items and we're not like building a vehicle requires um uh, it's a very hard problem statement uh, uh right requiring you to manage a lot more supply chain complexity for us we are focusing exclusively on batteries chargers and uh, and that's about it and uh, so i think yeah that that's kept us efficient but like you said we will definitely have to uh, amp that up as we look at more cities a lot more business focus expansion and as we do more categories definitely uh, there's a lot more r&d capital that goes into like unlocking buses etc how many people on your team today uh we're roughly a 180 member team today uh most of that pretty much uh, 80% of that in r&d at some point do you see a b2c opportunity for exponent and are things like interoperability important what's your view on this uh i think interoperability is something that maybe we shouldn't be aiming for honestly right um i think and and maybe this this is my point of view um uh in the ev space you know almost like the early days of fintech you know you bought a visa card uh, because you sort of believed in the network that it supported you 
right? It's one of the early days of EVs. So I think we should focus on delivering great product experience, right? Uh, and really reliable product experience. And I think we need stuff that feels magical, right? Um, as again, slow and unreliable. And that's sort of what charging is today. And to sort of deliver that, I think apart from choosing the sort of vehicle partner that you want to, the vehicle that you want to buy, uh, most end users will also end up choosing the energy partner, the energy network, right? Um, so today with Swap, for example, you say, hey, I want... Um, I want to buy this vehicle on the swap network. Right? So I think you'll have multiple network providers sort of pop up and try to give you the best solution possible. right? And uh, bringing, trying to achieve interoperability at such an early stage of this industry can possibly uh, destroy that experience and reliability aspect of things. Right? Um, uh, the only way to deliver, like I said, really fast charging, really reliable charging is if I have to control chargers and batteries. Um, you know, in, in, even in swap, that's fundamentally what they have to do. They have to control the, the, both the battery and the network of substations, right? So no matter how you approach this, you fundamentally have to solve both sides of batteries and chargers. Um, so I think trying to bring interoperability, um, it creates that open protocol and any open protocol fundamentally caters to masses, but it cannot deliver advanced performance it cannot deliver necessarily the advanced reliability that's needed and which can possibly do more harm to the industry than good if you look at a lot of open protocols in the world like ccs2 and the reason all the oems have ditched in, in in north america have ditched ccs2 and moved to tesla's protocol is because it's just a far superior protocol at the open protocols while they give you this comfort of cross compatibility they don't actually deliver the sort of performance and reliability that's needed to get people going electric right and um, like I said, we, we are compatible to open protocols at Exponent as well. We we have that extra connector. We, you want to charge in one hour using other vehicles, uh, please, other charging stations, you can definitely go do that. Uh, but I think that, that shouldn't be, we shouldn't over-focus on cross-compatibility, uh, which can actually kill innovation. And, and the very practical uh, aspect here also is vehicle, vehicles are really large. So you can actually afford to have multiple connectors and provide cross-compatibility if really that's what's needed, right? Uh, for example, on the vehicles powered by Exponent, there are actually three connectors, right? Um, it's like you can charge at home, you can charge in other networks, and you can charge on e Exponent ePump. So we provide all three options. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, like you used to have desktops and laptops with multiple connectors. I think it's not very hard to uh, provide multiple connectors on vehicles if you really want to provide cross-compatibility. Uh, but I think uh, that shouldn't... But I, I, I don't think we should just stop at just trying to achieve cross-compatibility. Uh, I think um, the ecosystem should focus more on better experience and better reliability as against cross-compatibility. There are a couple of other things that I wanted to understand a little bit more. Uh, the first one is, can you explain the water part a bit more? You found a way to store water and pump it uh, relatively at high pressure, I'm thinking? Yeah, so we actually have a offboard HVAC system along with a like like yeah you got it right a pressure system, a pump um, that actually sits inside the e pump our charger. Um, and uh, something cool that we do is actually uh, how we design the connector. So when you actually make the connector, we have signal pins, we have power pins, and we also have this fluid couplers that actually make a seal or break a seal um, based on when you put in and pull out the connector. It's actually pretty cool because not many things in the in the world actually not many systems in the world actually uh, make and break fluid high pressure fluid uh, contacts in real time in the real world. So we actually had to spend a lot of time designing that system. 
right? Um, for the for the driver, it's a simple experience. He just plugs in the connector, just one one click, and all these pins sort of engage. And there's a lock that sort of locks the entire connector up, so you can't pull it out while it's charging. Um, and once this whole lock gets engaged, the system builds up pressure. It pumps in liquid, um, and um, the same. And if the bat once the battery achieves the right temperature, uh, the system also starts pumping in current and manages it. It's fantastic to see how you all are developing all these engineering capabilities in India, which collectively, in the long run, will change the way the world looks at us. You know, as a source of high-end engineering products. Just an observation, if you will. The other point I wanted to understand better is. Um, the e pump gets its power from the grid does it or does it have its own large energy pack and so on no the e pump draws its power from the grid like any other charge currently you're not making batteries for two wheelers are you we're not um, as an energy company we've we've realized the focus should really be on commercial vehicles right? that's where the market's at commercial vehicles i'm talking commercial i'm talking three wheelers all the way to a bus uh, these are you know they only 10% of the vehicles with respect to installed use, use installed base, but they consume seventy percent of our on-road energy today, right? So both from a sustainability point of view, and from a concentrated energy value point of view, right? This no-brainer to focus on commercial vehicles. It's interesting. I was speaking with Amitabh recently, and he was making the same point about commercial vehicles, and he's of course at Alter Green building a company around that opportunity. Any last points you want to highlight in the context of this small conversation? No, I I think uh, I think the point the observation you made uh, I think that I think that's an that's a that's a good one I think that's something that I share as well that uh, I think with EVs India will has the opportunity to take lead and I think energy India can actually take lead with respect to energy tech uh, right last time. The world started building vehicles. India wasn't even a free country, right? So with ICE engines, we've always played a catch-up game, always lagged by ten years, twenty years, right? But now there's a sudden reset. There's a global reset on learning with respect to vehicles, with respect to energy systems. But suddenly, India has got all this talent base. We are one of the largest markets in the world locally to fund innovation, um, and we've got the ability to build technology at really low cost, and we also have really efficient manufacturing. That's that's locally available uh, and you need both you need both r&d and you need manufacturing to sort of win the energy tech game um, so i think if you can make a battery that delivers high performance at really really low cost structures for india uh, you know you could sell that battery anywhere in the world uh, so I, i'm quite excited for india's prospects with energy tech okay very nice update arun and i learned a lot about all the serious engineering work going on at exponent um more power to all you guys and thank you for making time for me and definitely hope to keep the conversation going and thank you hari thanks so much for having me on your podcast and uh, super excited to be here and love to keep the conversation that's it for this conversation i hope you found it interesting you can find all our podcasts at forbesindia.com and on your favorite podcast app i'm hari arkli Thank you for listening.